Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet. Religion is not okay with Jesus the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one. He doesn't just have good teachings. He is the, the breaker of bondage. He will transform you. But you got to go after knowing him more. He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth your time. He's worth your life. And there's, there's nothing, this, this city, this nation, the nations of the world are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people. They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? If the king of the universe and all of his goodness, all of his backing, if all of heaven is for you, is standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? We could, we could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly, there is nothing that can stop you. It costs much, but it's worth the cost. It costs everything. This is the Fire Podcast. Well, I'm here with Brad McCoy, um, who is a, uh, a father, a mentor, a friend, uh, been in each other's lives for since 2010. Yeah, it's, it's a while now. <laughs> it's, it's been a while. Um, and I, like, I always like to start the podcast, anybody who listens knows, I like to start the podcast with like how we know each other, um, which some people know the story, some people don't. Um, do you remember how we met? I do remember how we met. I, I remember um, not only about how we met, but hearing how I heard about you. Because oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, was when 2010, the summer of 2010, we had hosted a uh, student missions training. You know, we wanted to train university students to live like missionaries on their campus. And uh, we were supposed to have it at a local university. And then they switched their insurance rules and we ended up like kind of scrambling a month beforehand. And we're like praying, God, give us some place. Uh, and this ministry in Pittsburgh told us about this place called the burning bush. It would have been an old uh, Catholic convent yeah. and uh, on the South side of, of Pittsburgh. And uh, I remember going down and kind of at the time kind of thinking like, what are we doing? And we get to this building. It's this massive building. We're hoping do we have maybe like, like five or six staff and then maybe 12 students. And I'm like, we're walking to this building. It's like massive. It's like three or four three stories. stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, you can see it from anywhere in the city, right? You're looking over, yep, there's the space. Um, and, but in that, um, crazily enough, you know, just kind of looking at in that summer for the first two weeks of June, 2010, um, you know, people were still following Jesus with today, um, came and we gave the Lord two weeks <laughs> and just said, God, you know, bring your presence, come equip. And one of the people that was there was Jasmine Tate, you know, and Jasmine, I remember at the, at the end of that, at that, at the end of that time, um, we asked, you know, kind of like some exit questions. And one of them was like, okay, who are some other people that are on your heart? You know? And so Jasmine's talking about her basketball team. And it was actually, uh, in this moment that she told me, she's like, giving me all the answers to my questions that she thought she should answer. Um, but at the end of it, she said, but if you want to know what's really in my heart, She's like, what's really my heart is to see like a sound release that would change my campus and would touch a generation. And I remember like faith hit me in that moment. And I was like, well, you don't have to go like start a Bible study in your dorm, you know, what's in your heart. And um, anyway, coming out of that, we did a follow-up a couple months later in August. And we decided with that group of students, we would do like a fall gathering. We called it the new normal. And uh, we asked, you know, we asked that core of students, like, hey, who do you want to invite to this? And she told her, there's this guy, I know Ryan. Um, and he might come from Columbus. And he just, like, started following Jesus again, you know. And, um, yeah, so I remember standing out there waiting for people to come up. And you, <laughs> you're driving up. Um, you missed the driveway, right? Yeah, I missed, yeah, the, missed driveway. the driveway. And coming in and just those those next few days, lots of, lots of, uh, I always just love the faithfulness of God, right? Whenever we, when we hunger and thirst for him, like he shows up. And I look back at so many different um, times in Pittsburgh and in Austin and 
uh, Lawrence, Kansas, where we saw God be faithful to do things in a relatively short amount of time that like really impacted people's lives. But that was the beginning that weekend, you know, was the beginning um, of, you know, relationship that's when I think back, you know, my daughter was four, <laughs> whenever you met her. Um, and, you know, to watch her play with your kids now, is just like, oh my gosh, this is pretty bizarre. So, yeah. And I remember, I remember two things that weekend. I remember praying for you and just the way that your heart was positioned to receive. Um, and then I also remember the look on your face whenever my spiritual dad at the time got up and was doing a hip hop prophetic word. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to have this like, Hey, let's have this night where everybody gets to, everybody gets to like express something. And when Jim got up and started doing that, look on your face was both like, what is going on here? I've never seen this before. And there's so much joy. And so um, I think those are the, those, the two things from that weekend of just watching God move. And we've been praying for, you know, we've been praying for Ohio State for months at that point in time, starting that January. I think that was October. Yeah. Yeah. So nine months we've been praying um, for for students at, at Ohio State. So just like a real sovereign God connection. So, yeah. And I tried to, I tried to say this last night and I realized I didn't say it very well. Um, Cause last night for those listening, Brad spoke at our, at our church. Um, and I just like that weekend, I got filled with the Holy spirit when you guys prophesied over me, which I didn't have a grid for that either. And, and I didn't speak in tongues. That was the other thing is I did. I actually got filled with the Holy spirit, but didn't speak in tongues, but I was prophesying. So that, that messed with my theology. Um, and I didn't speak in tongues till I think two or three months later. I was praying over somebody and tongues came out. Yeah. And um, But I was prophesying and I was unlocked and I was yeah. connected with Holy Spirit in a way it never had been before. And uh, I, and it, no one prayed for it. No one asked God to do it. You guys just spoke over. You guys told me everything, about, everything that happened to me, everything that God had been speaking, everything that was going to happen, you know, stuff I'm walking in now. And, uh, and to go from that to being, you know, next day, and I, I won't tell this whole story again, um, but I, just seeing God touch somebody, you know, by giving me his heart and me being able to prophesy over somebody and them giving their life to Jesus in that moment. And um, I was just, I was so unlocked and it was like everything that I, uh, I don't even know if I've communicated this to you, but like everything that when I gave my life to Jesus, everything I believed was coming from the things I had seen, but I didn't know how to access it because I grew up in miracle environments. I saw people, you know, get healed. And I knew I was a medically uh, verified testimony with uh, the submucous cleft palate being born without it. And then medically documented that it appeared um, when I was a baby. And, you know, so I knew all that was real. And I remember having arguments with people because I was like, the only Christians I'd get connected with were people who didn't believe in any of right. the spiritual side of Christianity. It was very just Bible and that's it. And, uh, and I would have arguments. I'd actually defend healing and hearing God's voice, even though I didn't know how to do it myself. Yeah. And, uh, and there were little moments where I knew God spoke to me, um, throughout, throughout that year and a half of following Jesus without Holy spirit right. and, um, without having a relationship with Holy spirit. And so like you guys, uh, you guys gave that to me without even I, I just by being you guys, by you guys doing it and not being the big person on stage with the mic and just being at a nun's convent in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, <laughs> nun's convent, yeah. Yeah. Um, with a group of people in high school or not high school, college students from around the country. And it was just like, wow, you know, this is the most profound God encounter I've had in my life. And it's happening with people that aren't known. Yeah. You know, I think that was a big deal to me personally. And then, uh, and then to go from that to like, you know, miracles breaking out and all that stuff and then having somebody, and this is the part that I feel like I didn't say very well last night is like to have somebody who didn't, not that you didn't care cause you, you actually cared and you, I actually remember you even honoring it probably not to the level I wish you would have, you know, um, back then now I get it. But back then it's like, I felt like you downplayed it a lot, but even so I remember you purposely honoring it in the community and stuff, what was on my life and how God would move in miracles. But you would also, you also didn't care. That wasn't what validated me within the community or your time, it's you know, such or anything a, like yeah, that. it's such a tension. And I think I still wrestle with that as like, how do you honor what God's doing and recognize, man, there's a grace on this yeah. without, um, without building, 
the way that we communicate. I think that, you know, when we talk about culture, um, you know, you can have culture and like more of like in the macro setting where everybody knows exactly, oh, this is the defined culture of our movement, you know? And I think that I was coming out of a place where, you know, in my desires to want to, you know, do something big for God and like, you know, launch a movement for Jesus. And we were seeing God do great things. I think that the grace that we were seeing in that kind of year and a half, two year period was a lot of people who had grown up seeing God do great things, typically just on a platform. Yeah. And like I, the number of people that we just felt released and had permission to live this out wherever they were. Um, but I think in knowing that, I think that at the season that we were, you know, getting to know each other, I was recognizing, I remember whenever I was the guy with the crazy testimonies and I was, you know, getting the pats on the head for all the cool stories and all the cool miracles. And then we hit a season where it felt like the bottom dropped out from underneath our feet. And I, I remember kind of thinking like, well, to stay relevant, I need to go have the stories. But what I really needed was like somebody who could love my wife and I. And we found that, you know, with, with Jim and Jan, they would just take time. And, um, but I remember that's, that's still, I think it's still a, a place da David Wade said to me one time, um, which is so, so ironic, right? Cause he, he looked at me one time early on in, in my relationship with him. And he's like, if I never plan a church, can I still be a part of this family? I'm like, well, of course you can. Why did you ask? He said, well, it seems like all the stories are about people who like have planted a campus church or a house church. They planted a church church. And if I never do that, you know, I think David's probably one of the most likely people to plan a church yeah. of anybody <laughs> we've walked with, right? Uh, but recognizing, and I, and I was thinking about this last night, um, there was a point in time where, where the metric was how many people were we gathering. I was like, okay, that's not it. Then there was a point in time where it was like, okay, how many people are we baptizing? You know, and then it was like, how many people are we sending? How many churches are we planting? And I, in that moment with David, it was just kind of like, um, that metric got messed up and it's not, you know, obviously if you send people out to make disciples, churches are going to get planted. But, uh, I, I feel like that was the day I feel like I, I moved out of the church planting business and like, how do we provoke one another into love and good works? How do we propel people forward in, in the place that, um, how we propel people forward in the place that God has for them so that each person gets to be the expression, um, of what God, what God's created them for, you know, what God's made them to be. And I think that um, what you said last night in terms of there's going to be a day whenever you're not known for raising the dead, that was a painful thing to say to you at the time. It was painful for me to say, and I know you're like, wait, <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. yeah. But I, well, I think last night it may, may have been the first time I heard you say, like there was something even at that time that was like crying out for not just to be the guy who could raise the dead, you know? And I think that Adrian and I are blessed to see how the, like, what God has done in your life. And like, you know, when we sit with you and Milka and the kids are playing, you know, you're still the guy who has faith and is going to step out because you know that God is that God. And so he hasn't taken away from your faith to see those things happen, but to see how much more just like the full expression or a fuller, like we're still, like we're still in the process. We're still maturing, um, but a fuller expression of, of God's heart. And to see that both as a husband and as a father and as a friend and a brother, um, it's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. Yeah, and I, I mean, at that time, um, I don't think I've shared this on the podcast, so I should share the context. It's just like I had people from all over reaching out to me, and I wrote a blog about the person raised from the dead that just absolutely went viral at that time. Um, and this is like Facebook days before anything else. Um, and it went viral. I had a Bible study in Las Vegas. They were literally just doing Bible studies off my blogs and inviting me out and just different churches. And when I would speak at a church or share the testimony, um, you know, it would, uh, people line up and want me to lay hands on them to raise the dead. And which is still such a silly thing to me. Um, but, uh, I, you know, not that I'm against laying hands on people. Um, just a funny thing. To... <laughs> um, but I didn't have, I didn't know God. And I think that that was the thing is like, he, between you and, and, and Jasmine, like our, our, those two relations were, relationships were probably the most impactful at that point, because you actually just cared about my character more than anything. At least that, that's what you communicated, which was, and I needed that. I needed somebody that didn't want me just for what I could do. And, uh, and then Jasmine, like with the worship and the culture of that. And I would like, 
talk to her about worship because I just didn't get it. And like, I didn't know how to engage with it. And I'd like try to sing the words along and it's like, I don't feel nothing. And like, I don't connect to this. And I, you know, realizing like, I don't even really love God. I'm just like activated and all this stuff. And I don't even know how to love him, you know? And I'm just, I'm thankful for, you know, because I know that there's other leaders and stuff listening. I'm thankful for the people in my life who could have those hard conversations. And you walked with me through those those first formative years of walking out with Holy Spirit. Like you walked really close with me, um, and that was essential. And I know that every every place and every leader I've been under and stuff has it's been really important when I've gotten there. But that that was like the foundation that I feel like even now, like the things God's speaking to us and stuff. I'm like, this is so much like what we were learning then. Yeah. But yeah. it just took me a while, yeah. you know, to get to the place that it was like, yeah. oh, this makes sense. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I'm more dense than most. <laughs> well, and, and I know I've talked to you about this before, but I mean, I think that whenever I was first writing Culture of the Few, I mean, I was writing it for you and David. And there's a section when you're just talking about, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, but there's a section in there called Becoming Sons. And yes, everything you just said was true. It was hard. I remember some of those conversations. Like, I don't even get it. You know, I don't even get it. But at the same time, you had a heart so you didn't get worship but you would submit to it (laughs) you would come there and be awkward in it (laughs) and just like sit on the sofa or wherever we were and be like i don't really get this but i'm gonna put myself here um and i and i think that that was what always gave me hope that first of all it was undeniable god was doing a good thing in you right so i think that one of the things that we rest in i think for anybody who's listening to a podcast you know and i and i think about um you know, sometimes we face these places where we feel like we're hitting a brick wall. Um, and if the work that's happening in our life is what we're making happen uh, and we're hitting the brick wall, then it's just exhausting. But if, if it's a work that God's doing, he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete us. And I think that in learning and recognizing um, the way that God showed up in your life that first weekend, and then as we begin to spend, you know, time together or have have phone calls you know um probably more than almost I, I think probably more than anyone i can remember right now honestly i can say like you receive it receive from the lord and you're ready to go like ah somebody else has got to know about this and so you were <laughs> ready like it felt like within like three months of like i'm gonna give jesus everything and i'm gonna get a, a board and start a 501c3 <laughs> you know uh, yeah. i remember i remember a conversation we had one time you had a, this prophetic word about like God said, surround yourself with wise counsel. I was like, yeah, God told me to start my, my 501c3. I was like, or just surround yourself with wise counsel. <laughs> you know? But it was like the paradigm, you were all in in the paradigm of what you understood God in. And I think that it's so good that when we have those moments and we see people who are like that, we see people who are, they're just hungry, that we never, um, we never allow the way that we speak into their life to extinguish the dreams and their hopes, right? But like we do, um, we want to water the, the seed, right? We want to water the seed of what we see God doing um, and make it be healthy and make it, you know, get nurturable. Um, you said something earlier I wanted to mention because I, th- I, don't know if, I don't know if you know this story or not, but you talked about getting unlocked that weekend. Um, and I think that those moments, those unlocking moments are really important. And I, and I think that because... We have language for like someone getting born again or something. Someone got saved last night or someone gave their life to Jesus last night. We have moments for when people get uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit or they got filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever. But for me in my life, I think there was a moment that I got, I described it as I got unlocked. And it was a, uh, it was such an important moment. I was younger, you know, I was like a fifth grade, but I was walking in a spirit of rejection. Um, I'd had a lot of things happen in my life. Um, I had an amazing childhood, and then I also had some just really uh, broken places um, where things had happened. Uh, I don't even want to call it sexual abuse because, like, typically what happened with me is, is that the people that was involved with were, were other kids, right? So I wasn't abused by someone who was a few months older than me. Somebody else had been abused or passed that along or whatever. But anyway, in fifth grade, like, I, I don't know how to have friends. I'm walking in a major spirit of rejection. I think I am retarded. And uh, I think that because of everything that's happened to me, I must be gay, right? These, these are the things I believe about myself. As a fifth grader. As a fifth grader. As a fifth grader. Um, and I can tell you, like, because of what happened to me whenever I was young, and then someone, you know, 
calling me names, you know, and my dad's like explaining what that is. I'm like, oh, that must be what I am, you know? And so when people talk about like, oh, I was born this way, like I, I never experienced what I remember any kind of sexual attraction, you know, to, to, to men or anything like that. But like, I felt like because of what happened to me, and then this was what was said to me, when th those words hit that experience, it became my reality. And this is my, what this must be. So in that point in time, um, I, you know, didn't feel like I was good. I, I was, you know, made A's and B's and was convinced that the teachers just felt sorry for me. And that's why I made A's and B's. Like, it was so crazy to think like how much I was, you know, uh, paralyzed by a lot of fear. Um, and it's so hard for me to look back on this because I feel like my mom and dad did an amazing job with us. And I'm so grateful. I was like, I've shared this story before. People are like, wow, your childhood is really broken. I was like, somehow in the midst of all this, I felt like I was so loved and I was so surrounded. And I think that that was such a huge part of my story was like, I never have a day in my life where I didn't know I was loved. But yet when it came to relating to people outside my household, there's this brokenness that's threatening me. But, and so in the midst of being bad at everything else, I'm really good at kickball. And um, I also loved other sports, but I remember with kickball specifically, it was like the only thing in my life where I was picked first. And, and I've often like thought about how the way that like the enemy will allow us to be good at one thing. So we'll put our identity there. And then he likes to rip out that, you know, he likes to rip the, the carpet out from under our feet. So that on this day that this happened, you know, playing kickball out on the blacktop, I love the sport of kickball. I get to tell them how I want them to pitch me the ball, right? So they pitched me the ball and I, I kicked it and it went over everybody's head and it not only went over everybody's head, but it like went out of the blacktop, it went up this hill and went into the woods. I, I, I could have crawled around the bases and not been out. And so I'm heading into second base. I trip and fall. I rip a hole in my, my jeans on my knees. My hands got, you know, really uh, messed up by the, by the pavement. And I still get home and I, and I come and I run in. But when I, when I ran to home, home base, um, the kids started like mocking me. And I remember feeling like the one thing that I have was just taken away. And I got up and I ran into the bathroom and I went over and I remember uh, getting paper towels out of the paper towel dispenser. I, I got them wet. I folded them. I looked at my hands, looked like kind of like hamburger meat. And I folded those and I put them in my hands. And I went and I stood against the wall and I slid down the wall. And as a fifth grader, I wanted to die. Because as silly as it seems now to think about kickball, it's like, it was the only thing I felt like I had. Yeah. And then that was taken away. You know, I'm, so I'm just sitting in there and my teacher comes in. Miss Montgomery was super sweet, kind, beautiful woman who was a friend of my friends um, or who was a, a mom of my friends. And so she came in and she helped me up off the floor and just hugged me in the middle of the, of the boys' bathroom. And then she came out and she sat down on a, there was a step in between the water fountains and she just sat there and she started to tell me, you know, not knowing what was happening in my heart. Um, but I remember she looked at me, she said two things to me that day that were my unlocking day. She looked at me and she said, God put you on the planet to do something that nobody else can do. And, and I was like, I'd heard my mom and dad say that before, but like for me, like these are my parents, they have to think that, yeah. right? Um, and then she looked at me and she said, the way you love people will change the world. And I could just feel like this like little blip on what felt dead in my heart. And I felt like my life got unlocked. I felt like I went from being like, uh, using like today's kind of picture, I went from being like a grayscale locked video game character to all of a sudden coming into 3D full color. And like that day, and that was kind of like at the end of my fifth grade year, I came back to school in sixth grade and all of a sudden, like, you know, I, I, it was bad enough that I was like, there was like 25, 26 boys in fifth grade. I'd be the only one not invited to birthday parties. And I remember the, like the pain of showing up to school on a Friday and everybody else's backpacks and, and sleeping bags were there at the side of the wall. And I didn't even know whose party it was. You know, I went from that to in sixth grade, having friends and, you know, having people over to my house and going to their house and that same group of people, you know, that I was with, I was like the cl class officer all four years in high school. God transformed my life because someone spoke and, and it's sort of, you know, different environment, 
you know, she, whenever I went back a few years ago and um, I did a video with her uh, telling her that story, she's like, she had no idea. She wasn't trying to unlock me. She wasn't trying to break off a spirit of rejection or break off a spirit of homosexuality or uh, of, of me thinking what I, I did about uh, being retarded. She was just trying to love me. She was just speaking words of life. And I think that uh, what you described happening to you is like, yeah, people were praying and they're being intentional trying to listen to God, but it, like no one knew in that moment what was going to happen. So when we have an opportunity, whether it's in that kind of like that prayer ministry moment or whether it's just in the way that we interact with people who are having a hard day, yeah. you have no idea what will happen when the love of God hits someone's heart. Um, and I think that's really beautiful because if we did, I think we'd probably, we'd probably be freaked out by how you know heavy those moments can be. But just to recognize, you know, that weekend almost didn't happen. It was like there was a lot. We had just been homeless the year before that. And I remember, like, the stress of trying to put together another event. Just feel like, how are we going to do this weekend? How are we going to pay for it? Who's going to help us, like, spiritually cover it? And to see, like, how God has, you know, done things in your life. And God's commitment to you is great enough that if we would have said, oh, we're not going to do it, he would have found another way. But it's like he invites us to, to be collaborators with him. He invites us to cooperate in his story whenever we just give him our yes and say, okay, God, by faith, we're just going to give you, I'm going to give you today. And we're going to give you the conversations that we can have today and, um, and then see the value uh, in the person that's in front of us. And like, God, what are you saying about this person? And that's what happened to me. And so when I think about my life right now, I was like, what God put in me with my mom and dad, but like those words from my teacher, like, I believe that I'm on the planet to do something that nobody else can do. And that frees me from having to be like everybody else. And I also, whenever she said, the way that you love people will change the world, there's something inside of me that's like, okay, what if that's my thing? What if like, I'm just supposed to love people? And I've wrestled with God since then because it doesn't feel like it's a, I mean, it feels like a very vanilla thing to do. Like, oh, what do you, what's your thing in the kingdom of God? Well, I hug people, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, but that's, if that's what, you know, if that's what God wants, if that's what he says, then how we give ourselves to that is really important. I'm so glad you told that story. That was like the one on, on the way over here praying. That was the one story, the story through teacher. That was oh, like cool. the one story cool. I was going to bring up. So I'm glad that that worked out, man. Yeah. And you just, you have, like you said, you have no idea. You have no idea who's before you and, and the, the fruit of that. I've been thinking a lot about, you know, generational things. And I, I saw this uh, Instagram reel where somebody was talking about like how many people had to, had to come together to make us. And it was like, you know, it's like four grandparents, it's two yeah. parents, four grandparents, it just multiplies out to this thousands of people that all, everything had to be perfectly aligned for us to yeah. be here right now. And that's just been making me think of, man, so much of the spiritual stuff and then leaving a legacy. And I don't know why in my, you know, I'm about to turn 32 in like two weeks or whatever it is, I'm bad with time. Um, you know, and I'm already thinking about what is, what is my legacy and how am I setting up my kids and, you know, preparing yeah. for grandkids and like my daughter's three and my other yeah, daughter, yeah. You know, three and one and a half and, uh, almost three months. And it's like, you know, but I'm, I'm thinking that way because it's, it's that, like, if she didn't do that, I, I wouldn't have gotten impact that the way I did that day and unlocked. And I, I think about even like how I got unlocked, like it is, it's so much, it's so much deeper than, than even what I've shared so far, because I was like, in high school, I was set to, to go into film and you know, you, you know this, but like I got rejected by the top three film schools in the country and well, I got rejected by two of them, accepted into USC's film school without getting into the general education portion. So I didn't get into the college, but I yeah, got into yeah. like this, the specific yeah, school yeah. I won. And so then I couldn't go there and then, um, you know, end up at Ohio state who didn't even their, their film degree was a history. It was a film studies degree. And I was just miserable and I like, I hated it. And I was like, my heart was falling out of love with film. And I just, I didn't know what I was on the earth for anymore. And, uh, I was actually failing out of college. I had lost my scholarship within the first little bit. I don't know if I've ever communicated that with you, but, and then, and then you guys came along, you know, and then that moment, and it was like, for the first time, like it actually felt like I had significance. And I remember even moments, like speaking of Jasmine, like there was moments where in high school and stuff where I would be crying on the floor of the bathroom. I'd go and take, uh, put the shower on and just cry because I couldn't let anybody know that that was happening. Or, 
you know, and there's several, several moments where I would reach out to Jasmine because she was the only real believer I knew, which even, you know, hearing her story and stuff, she was struggling, you know, yeah, yeah. and, um, but she would be, she would, she would speak into stuff. And I remember like one of the times I was like, I never, I, I never dealt with suicide back then. Um, but I, I was just like frustrated and angry and like, why am I here and angry at God? And I remember she said, Ryan, she's like, you're on this earth because you're going to confront the church on some major things and see the church changed, which didn't make a whole lot of sense. I wasn't even following Jesus, you know, but she said that to me and something in that gave me enough strength to push forward a little bit further. You know, that didn't unlock me completely in that moment, but it kept me moving, you know, and and then I feel like that day it was like little seeds like that because that's not the only thing she said or other people said or prophesied over me or I remember this old man at I was at World Harvest with my parents at one point and this old old black man comes up to me barely able to walk you know he's like gotta be a hundred years old not really but um, comes up and shakes my hand and he's like young man you're you're gonna be a, a pastor of a church one day and I remember going outside and cussing at heaven like screaming at God I left my parents inside as they're talking to everyone I just went I was so mad <laughs> because at the same time I knew it was true yep. <laughs> and I was like right. I don't right. I don't want this I don't want to be a leader in the church I don't want anything to do with the church you know but those unlocking moments are so key and you just never know and and even like you never know, you know, like who who was the one who led Billy Graham to the Lord or Reinhard Bonnke, these like yeah, great, yeah. great soul winners or um, the, the people who have made the greatest inventions, you know, and, and unlock them to believe that they could do that. And you just never know who's before you. Or it could be that they're just going to end their life or they're going to be an amazing parent. And then two two generations down the line, there's somebody that's going to be born. So you just never know the, the, the yeah. eternal impact. Yeah. And, it, and I think I remember talking with... Um, Eric Johnson, one day we're sitting around a table and at that point in time, there was, you know, at Bethel, they're making a big deal about like fifth generation or sixth generation or seventh generation. And I remember talking to him about like how, how cool that was. And then also recognizing, you know, my dad grew up in a very different home than his dad did. My grad, my dad grew up in a home um, with a mom and dad, you know, specifically his dad was alcoholic. Um, my dad has stories uh, of trying to stand in between him and his mom because, you know, he was coming after and his mom would not let my dad get involved. And as a teenager, like, you know, and so there's alcohol, there's abuse, um, other just real broken things. And, and my dad telling stories about coming home, um, and you know, some of my grandfather's family members, they came home one night, he had a friend come over after school. You know, and there was like a family member, you know, drunk and naked in the backyard and how embarrassed my dad was. And this was like, yeah, this was the legacy of the McCoys. And and I'm sure that's not total, right? I'm sure that's not like everything. Um, but thinking about how the gospel came to my family, these Baptist church planters show up, you know, they had been planted a church kind of like in the rural area uh, across the river from Wilmington, North Carolina, that oh, we God wants us to start a church in Wilmington, you know. And so these people come. Uh, my dad and a couple of his sisters end up meeting some people who get invited to church, and you know, one by one, my dad and all four of his sisters end up giving their lives to Jesus, and then my grandmother and it comes up ends up coming to the Lord, and then by the time I was probably ten, I remember praying for my grandfather to follow Jesus. Whenever I was a you know a young child, I remember being kind of afraid of him because of all the alcohol stuff. Um, but by the time I, uh, you know, was going into middle school, my grandfather had given his life to the Lord, and my grandfather, you know, ends up wearing out his eyes reading the scriptures. Um, and so you're talking about legacy, and I think that we we know that there are people on the other side of my family, I have people I can go back and look and, and check out the family tree, people who love God and were like church planters, you know, 130 years ago, or in, on Adrian's side of the family, the, the story of a revival that happened in Kiev in the 1800s and how both sides of her family ended up finding Jesus through this revival, this one move of God that took place in this, in the city, you know, that is now so, so much contested, you know, and I think about why, like, am I stirred to pray for that? Because I know what can happen in that place. So there's, we have these different places of heritage and legacy, but like, for me, it's really beautiful to look back and think, you know, what God did in my dad's life. I grew up in a home very different than my dad did. 
And so as I think about what legacy is, what, you know, um, Scripture says a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And so as you're positioning right now with your three-year-old daughter and, you know, and, and her younger siblings, right, um, what does this look like? You know, it's like you're, you're embracing this place of a righteous man doesn't just leave something for his kids. He leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And I think that there's a lot of different um, applications of that, but at least one of them would be like in Hebrew culture, you know, a, a son would typically receive something from his father as his father, you know, was transitioning. And, and that was something he received from his father. And so for a carpenter, let's say, you know, you worked your whole life to give your children something more than what you received. And in, a, in an interesting way, when we think about that, I, I look at what happens in my daughter's life. And Abigail is an incredible 16-year-old. And like I, I remember we were at Bethel one time and receiving this prophetic word that was like everything I'd ever written down in my journal. Seemingly, it was like, you're going to like be a trusted voice and influence influencers and culture. And they, they saw a picture of our, our current space before we were in that current space of, of a storefront. And they saw young adults like on the floor, just like ministering to the Lord. And they saw people being sent out and all this stuff. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And the guy looks at me and said, but if you want to know what you're on the earth for, um, all those things are good. But if you're really what you're on the earth for, it's to steward that little girl. And Abby was like 13 months old. And when I think about like all the other things we get to be involved in doing can become a distraction from that thing of what it means to be a, a mom and a dad, you know, together with Adrian for that. And so I think it's important as we're talking about this is like, I mean, it's crazy to me. We had a Jasmine and, and her husband Connor over our house, you know, a couple weeks ago. And Jasmine was explaining how Abigail drew her a picture when she was like going through this crazy thing. Abby was like four. And I see this with your kids. Like they've just grown up in a culture that's, they don't know that they're doing something crazy prophetic. They don't know, they're not trying to like, you know, get a word. They're just following Jesus in a way that feels very freeing. Right. And so I think when we think about the legacy or inheritance that their kids will have, you know, that is really important and allows us to like be in a place that no matter what season we're in, we remember what we're, we're here for. You know, I'm not here just to enjoy the moment. I do get to enjoy moments being present with Emmanuel, who's with us right now. I mean, like this is for me, this is like a moment to think about getting to share this with you and to share this weekend with you. And, um, I didn't know this was going to happen 12 years ago, you know, but it's the things for me, if we're going to give our lives to the way that God has called us to live, like these are to me, like the sweet spots. I'm like, man, this isn't just for a weekend, right? This is like, there's a relationship that will come out of this. And whenever, you know, whenever Sophia looks up at me and smiles or gives me a hug, like to me, those are things like, wow, this was precious. And, and all the hard places that we walk through in that season of life for us, we're trying to figure out, you know, how to put one foot in front of the other, like those things are the sweet spots for us. Like, yeah, this is worth it. You know? And I think that we, we experience that both in our immediate physical families and we experience that like in, in the body of Christ as well. Um, so I'm excited. You're thinking about legacy, uh, yeah. while you're living, also embracing living in, in this moment. Yeah. Cause there's so much now it's been what you're saying about the kids. Actually, I want to share something in a moment, but what you're saying about the kids, it just reminded me, I didn't share this with you. Um, but Sophia actually had a prophetic dream the other night and she, she, every time I ask her about dreams, she always like, I dreamt of Jesus was with Papa and Ellery, our friend Ellery. That's all it always is. I'm like, did she actually dream? I don't know. <laughs> um, but this one was like, asked her cause every day I ask her, did you have a dream? And she's like, I had a dream that I was watching two people and one of them was trying to break the other's toes. And I'm like, I don't know, as far as I know, that I don't know that she's ever heard anybody talking about breaking bones or toes or anything like that. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, he was, the one was trying to break the toes of the other. And I was watching this happen. And I was like, did you know either of them? She's like, no, they were both strangers. Like, this is a three-year-old, but she communicates very well. And, um, and I just felt like God was like, pay attention to this. What does that mean? And I thought, oh, toes are stability. Toes are the only way we stand. You can yeah. you can't just stand on feet. You need toes. And um, and I was like, oh, this is a warning that the enemy is going to try to steal stability. And like 
as you know, that's what we're walking through. But this was like two weeks ago. She had this and I shared it with some people. I was like, hey, this is something for, to pray into. But God's also showing us this. So if it comes, don't be distracted by it. Yeah. And here we've been in this place of like every little thing, including the dang flat tire twice. Uh, I had to pump it up again today, but it hasn't been repaired yet. So I'm not going to count that one. Um, but it's just amazing to see even our kids just discipled in that environment and stuff. Or we were taking communion the other day and she's like, I want to do the blood, like interrupted to do that and thank Jesus for the blood. And it was just so, I was just like this, this is what it's about. And then if we, if we can train her well, and I just love that she's not even as much as possible. We want to protect her from the religious baggage that most of us have had and, yeah. and those sorts of things. Um, but I want to share this, this just as we talk about generations and stuff, I was reminded because people get, I think get so caught up in the, in the curse, you know, the curse of their generational lines and things like that. And, uh, but the blessing is so much greater than yeah, the curse. Absolutely. And I, I'm like, that's something I've been uh, processing a little bit in this, which for whatever reason, God's got me thinking about legacy, but I've been processing just like the blessing and just even the covenants, you know, like remember when a lot of this stuff really started happening with the U S and I was really, um, you know, as things were becoming more obvious, how bad the the state of the country was. And right. just being, I just remember the Lord spoke to me one day so clearly. And he said, um, he said, I haven't forgotten my covenant to, and started naming people throughout history to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just like, Oh, like you actually keep your covenants. You know, like we have a part in it and our, our nation has a part in it, but like you actually have a bigger plan than what we're seeing. Like we think it's political and it's like so much bigger than that. Like yeah. these are, hundreds of years old, these covenants that he's formed with people for the U.S., and that's just our country. Um, but one of the things, so Jonathan Edwards, have you ever heard his, his like, lineage? Mm-hmm. Like, the Jonathan Edwards? Yeah. From the Great Awakening? Um, so this is pretty incredible, because I know there's people that haven't heard this, but within five generations of descendants, he had one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and something else that's cut off because I didn't open the full link. Um, I I think the other one was missionaries. It's a large number of missionaries. Um, That's legacy. Like he, he, just in five generations, the blessing that was on his family created all of these people that impacted society yeah and like that to me is very profound it's so let's let's keep talking about that for a second because i think that one of the things when we were um when i asked you hey do you have anything specific and you're like hey let's have a conversation and we'll see where this goes like um i thought about generational momentum so right around the time i was meeting you i had this uh i had this dream and it was in it would have been in 2009 and there's at that point time there's different ministries across the country that are a lot of times working, they were working with young adults, but they had a, uh, they were not necessarily college ministries. You know, it was like people who were like, Hey, we just feel like God's doing something this generation. We need to give ourselves to it. And so um, I saw uh, in this, in this dream, I saw this uh, battle map unfold. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was like, uh, it was like this 3d battle map. And it was like an interactive thing. If you went to like a battlefield, you could see, you know, they're explaining how the battle is going. And, some people were leading really big columns, you know, and their names were connected to like the larger ministries. And some people were leading almost like the specialist forces and they were typically in smaller groups and they were scattered all over this battle map. Um, and all of a sudden I heard this sound and then there was this, there's this uh, call that came with the sound and it was to reinforce out of strength. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And so I turned to ask my spiritual dad, what does that mean? What does reinforce out of strength mean? And it, what happened next was uh, the Lord spoke the phrase generational momentum. And he's like, what happens when the generations come into alignment with each other? And I think that um, it's so easy for us to uh, be aware of maybe things that great men and women of God have done in previous generations. And sometimes we idolize those things. And we think, oh, if we could only have a conversation with fill in the blank, right? And then sometimes it's just as easy for us to like, villainize everything that has happened in a previous generation um and you know i think that looking back and 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 walking with friends now who have like there's a lot of transition that's happening you know at the point in time 2009 i was still considered a young you know a young leader (laughs) 
doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but all of a sudden I, I skipped the normal part because now a lot of times I went from being the youngest guy in the room to now, I, and, and the rooms I'm in, I'm a lot of times like the, the oldest guy in the room or one of the older people in the room now. And I'm not that old, but we're in this season of like generational momentum. And uh, what it means if we think about from a scriptural place, and we'll come back to Jonathan Edwards, from a scriptural space, like Psalm 133 is often called like the unity passage. But if you look at it, everything that comes out of that passage is talking about momentum flowing down, right? So um, how good and pleasant is when brothers dwell together in unity. Well, where do brothers dwell together? And home. They dwell together at the father's house, right? So it's like, it's not typically common for brothers in their 80s or 90s to be living together. But like there's a place as they're growing and, and, and developing that they're together. Um, and so when we come under the name of the father, when we come and we recognize like, hey, we're, we're not out here to build our own thing. And in that, and in that, that dream that I had, like it was just so important. I, I could see each person, regardless of the size of the unit they were leading, like each one have a significant place, but there was this, when the sound was released that we're going to reinforce out of strength because what God was going to do in generational momentum, the strength didn't come because we called up people who didn't know what they were doing. The strength came because we, we stepped into alignment with the generations who had gone before us and then knowing what was going to happen behind us. And like King Jesus is the one who gets the glory. King Jesus is the one who wins the victory, right? And that was significant in my life at the time, but in that Psalm 133 passage, uh, there's grace that flows down. It's like the oil that flows down out of Aaron's beard all the way down to the, to the edge of his, of his robes. It's like the dew that flows off of Mount, uh, Mount Hermon, right? And it, it flows all the way down. And at the bottom, it's like the, the, what had started as dew on a mountain becomes a river. And there uh, it's commanded a blessing life forevermore. And there's this place if we think about like when we, when we align ourselves with those who've gone before us, imperfect men and women, by the way, Right? We don't need to make heroes out of them, and we don't make, need to make villains out of them. We understand that these were flesh and blood, and just like you and just like me, they had struggles. You know, They had struggles, and like the presence of their struggle was, did not mean there was an absence of love and hunger for Jesus. So one of the things, going back to the Jonathan Edwards story, that I think is really interesting, is that Jonathan Edwards came from a legacy. His grandfather was called the, uh, the Pope of the uh, Connecticut Valley. He was like the spiritual leader of the Connecticut Valley. Um, and he lived in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts, and and pastored a church that we were actually there last summer praying. And I was like, you know, God, what are you what are you speaking about this? But in 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 this moment, which is like around 1700, so before the United States is born, you know, we're still colonies. Uh, in the English system, only uh, only church members were allowed to vote in the in the colony. And so he came up with what he called the halfway compromise because the Congregationalists were like the next generation of the Puritans. And the Puritans said, no, you can only be a part of the church if you have a real relationship with God. But the voting block was shrinking. And so he came up with this thing called the halfway compromise. I'm sure uh, whenever you go back to, to Grandpa Stoddard, uh, and his name was Solomon Stoddard. When you go back to Jonathan Edwards' grandfather, I don't think he was just like this evil man looking to compromise. I think he was probably like, what do we do? And this seemed like the best solution at that time. But it's crazy. The thing that was in Jonathan Edwards' heart that was like, and, and many people say the spark of the great awakening was he repented for what his grandfather had thought was the best thing to do. He came back and he said, no, this isn't about what your relationship is with the church. Like, do you have a relationship with God? And so all the things that you just listed, all the generational momentum that came out of that, comes into a place of like, how do I come into alignment and honor what God was doing in my past, but also repent. And we see this in scripture, right? We see this in places where um, Daniel is, is calling for people to repent for the sin. That, hey, I repent for my own sins and for the sins of the generations uh, before me. Like we recognize there is a place where right now in the culture that we live in the you know, United States, in Western culture, I would say, like there's so much we can celebrate, but if we like double down on like having to defend the things that people have gone before us, we are going to like, miss this moment where there's an ache that's been opened up in culture and man, the enemy wants to poke that ache and make that into a place of just uh, constant suffering and struggling. Right. But what does God want to do when people are hurting? God wants to bring healing. Right. So if we can come in humility, recognizing good things that have happened before us, but also come in places we recognize people who've gone before us, like, man, we missed moments. 
right? And not live in a place where we, we feel like that's going to be dishonoring to those who've gone before us. But like, what brings glory and honor to Jesus is for us to come to a place where we see because of this thing of generational momentum, because of this thing with you, like not to get so lost in the grand concepts of what this could look like, but just with your kids, just with my daughter, like the places of struggle in my life. How can I come alongside my daughter? Be with her. You know, when she experiences a struggle, not act surprised, because I remember I, I walked through struggles that were like that too. And instead, like, how do I get with her? And I fight, how do I take the things that we've learned? You know, and I think that a lot of times it means swallowing pride, you know, admitting that we don't know everything. Um, I, I will say this, like the, the idea of generational momentum used to mean for me, I used to talk about like, yeah, the next generation is gonna go faster and go farther. Um, and I think that's true, but like, I was thinking, okay, when Abby's in her 20s or 30s, you know, like it's already happening. But there's times we're going someplace and we're asked to share together and the Lord's like, let her share. You know, it's like, wait, you know, she's still like, at the time she's like 14, you know. Um, so what? You know, if we believe that this next generation is going to be, like, Abigail speaks things natively, things that I had to learn and struggled to learn, right? And so the same thing with your kids. There's going to be things that you are still wrestling with and you're learning together with them. And for them, it's going to be so natural, Whereas for us, we still kind of wrestle through it. And there's value in both, right? But we're just, this is what we're believing for as we follow Jesus. Like every promise that he has in his word is true. And I believe that. I don't believe I just have to say it and hope that it comes true one day. But I think the best way that I can position myself to see those promises fulfilled is to live open-handedly and live encouraging the next generation of people that come behind us. Again, whether that's physical family, spiritual family, friends that we get invited to come and just, we get to point them to Jesus. Like that's the essence of what discipleship is. It's like, it's not that different from parenting. The greatest thing I can do with my daughter is not give her the list of all the, all the you know, best practices of what parenting you should do. But like, can I point my daughter to Jesus? And can I allow her to point me to Jesus um, as that's happening? Yeah, I love that. I love how you said, come alongside, you know, come, we, the generations need to come alongside each other. And like, and and it's also, it's amazing with the prophetic, like the longer you've been in the, in, in the realm of, you know, hearing, hearing God or getting promises and, and things like once you have some time in it, you realize uh, exactly what you're talking about is like, some of them are not fulfilled in your life. They're filled connected. They're, they're fulfilled connected to your life, but not necessarily in your life. And, uh, you know, I, I even think about, you, you shared this at, at church, but like with the whole thing with Belltown and, you know, where we're having the church, it's out of a vision you had and you thought it was to gather people and do that. And God said, it's not for you to do, which is funny because it's actually the same story for us. Like 2016 is when God gave us the vision for this venue that would be for art and yeah. <laughs> all stuff. And, uh, and and that the church would use it on Sundays. And then here we are offered yeah. this, and it's happening with two people that we love dearly, and they're running with it, and the church is getting to use it, but we're not the venue. Yeah. You know, that we're not getting to run that part of it, and that wasn't even ours to run with. Well, Ryan, I can go back to the conversations that, you know, I was having with you and David Wade and Jasmine, like in 2012, about, you know, communities where there's artists and there's stuff. And I was thinking last night is like, Look at what God's doing, bringing these things. This, this is not exactly what we thought was going to happen. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that this is like the ultimate fulfillment or what Jasmine's doing with Axel is the ultimate fulfillment. But like there was things that God was planting in seed form before we even knew what to call it, right? Before we knew how to have words for it. Yeah. And, and God is doing it. And, and you know what? I think it's important for me to recognize, you know, you talked about the moment when Jasmine was speaking to you. And you weren't even like following Jesus at the time. You know, I remember moments, you know, I think connected to the next chapter after the unlocking story for me, which like, there's this place of like, there's so much, I never thought I, the spirit of rejection was gone. I never thought I was retarded again. I never thought like, oh, I must be gay again. Like, those things were gone. I also, I didn't know how to have conversations with people. I didn't know how to talk to my mom and dad about that. I didn't know how to, um, go to the Lord and allow him to heal the broken places. I just was thankful those things were gone. But I entered in, in this uh, period of like when, in my high school years of like having, a, like I remember in eighth grade hearing a, a message out of Isaiah six in the presence of God. Um, and again, this is in my like fundamental Baptist Christian high school and someone's just preaching the best they know how to out of Isaiah, mm -hmm. right? And I'm getting encounter, I'm encountering the Lord 
like through the vision of Isaiah. And I saw the Lord seated on the throne. And I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful. You know, like even though my life doesn't look like it did uh, whenever I was in that Christian school, that's not the way my life looks. I'm so thankful for the opportunity. I got to hear the word of God in a way that like pulled my heart. And this guy preached this message and he was like, um, Isaiah's response in the presence of God was to volunteer for whatever he wanted. And I thought, that's me. Like, whatever you want, you know? And I wanted to be, I feel like in the next like five or six years, I want to be a missionary to every place on the planet. It's like, hey, you're looking for someone to go to Brazil? Pick me. You want Chile? Okay, pick me. Uh, Asia? Pick me. Every time I heard a missionary story, I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's me. But at the same time, there was so much darkness in my life and brokenness in my life. And so I had like, I struggled so much with like, uh, lust and like porn and i was like I, I was, how can these two things be inside of me like yes i love jesus I want to be. and i don't know how to get free i can't stop doing these things i can't stop giving myself to this brokenness and and i think that one of the things that happened through that was i remember sitting on my floor in my bedroom and you were saying like when jasmine was talking to you i just kind of went back to this moment because it felt like another one of those things it wasn't necessarily the unlocking moment but it was like okay one more step moment kind of thing and I'm just kind of feeling so frustrated, like, God, why, why can't I get free? Yeah. And I remember him saying, don't give up. And at this point in time, I don't even have a frame for like God speaking. But I just remember really clearly sitting, you know, I could go back to that house today and take you to the exact spot sitting there. Don't give up. It's going to be worth it. And in one generation, you'll see the expression of church changed. And... I didn't even, I mean, I didn't even have a grid, you know, this would have been like 1992 or something like that. You know, I don't even, I don't have a grid for what that meant, but over those next few years, the Lord did bring freedom. I, I learned, you know, I was trying to not fill the lust of the flesh so I could walk in the spirit. And I discovered that's not what his word says. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And as the more my relationship with God became less about all the things I was doing wrong and more about what does it mean to actually walk with him and choose him today? Those things began to release their grip, you know? And whenever I face struggles or adversities, like today, I, I know that like, if I get into a place where I allow everything that's happening in my life to become heavy, I'll get tempted into anxiety. I'll get tempted into comparison. I'll get tempted to begin to look at things and have attitudes about people that are, but whenever I'm looking at Jesus, and like realizing what's the invitation for me today is to grow my connection with him and to abide in him, to walk with him a step at a time. Like all that stuff kind of goes, goes away and it begins now to be a thing of like, okay, I can take another step with him. And sometimes that's the, it's not the clarity for the step that's 10 down the road that means I'm walking with Jesus. It's like, okay, I'm willing just to be present with you here in this place where, where you guys are at right now. You know, you're in this spot with the Lord and you don't know exactly what 10 steps down the road looks, but how precious it is to be able to camp out with him and say, but we're going to be all yours today. And as we wait for you to unveil what tomorrow is going to look like, here we are, you know, and I think that's really, I think that's massive. Well, that's, that's really good. Um, so I wanted to ask you this question. Um, we talked about coming alongside the generations. So my question would be, how do we, or have you learned this? Are you learning this? But how, how do we come alongside a younger generation, um, whether that's, you know, Gen Z or like in our case, our kids, how do we come alongside them in a place that they, they need help and not, uh, not take away a battle that's theirs? you know, or strengthen them in that without doing it for them. Cause I think that can be a temptation too, is like they actually have things that they need to learn and grow and, um, and take on. And so we'll get the answer to that question when we come back, uh, in this, in part two of this conversation. Um, but, uh, to close this one out, how can people, um, follow you, keep up with yeah. you, that sort of thing. Probably the best place is to go to the website, bradmccoy.com. Um, and that's a place where they can, uh, find the ways of connecting and also see some resources that are there. And Do you have your book on there? Uh, Culture of the Few is on there. Okay. There's also a couple other. Um, there is a, a book on discipleship, uh, an ebook called The Shared Life. Uh, there's some resources there. And then I believe there's a um, devotional, a devotional that I wrote with Abigail. Oh, that's awesome. Which is also called Focus. And mm -hmm. I believe that's also there. Um, so that would be the best place. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram after 
getting kicked off for a while. So uh, <laughs> still kind of getting back and using those muscles again. But yeah, I would love to connect with anybody. Uh, but just at bradmccoy.com uh, is the best place to find that. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on for this per- first part. I'm excited for the second part of our conversation. We've had a lot of technical issues, so hopefully, hopefully that doesn't continue. Uh, but I love you a lot. I love you too, man. Yep. Until next time, this has been the Fire Podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fire Podcast with Ryan Rhodes. Fire Movement has a mission to bring people face to face with the real Jesus. If you love this show and ministry, please consider subscribing leaving a five-star rating, and most importantly, sharing the podcast with others on social media. Also, would you please consider one-time or monthly support to help us sustain and grow this show so that others can be stirred to hunger for more of the real Jesus? You can do so by going to firemovement.com support. Thank you.